Yo, good morning. It's me, uh, the Black Sun Podcast. It's uh, July 18th, uh, Sunday, uh, 2021. Um, just want to give a, a, again a, a quick shout out to um, you know Avaloy Studios and um, Avaloy Podcasting Network for uh, you know taking this uh, session again. Um, again, I'm trying to bring you weekly podcast sessions, uh, various topics. You know, primarily dealing with Black diasporic studies and black religiosity and higher elevation, higher learning, um, you name it, you know, we, we pretty much can discuss it here. Uh, again, just if anybody wants to uh, be on the podcast, always give me a shout out on my uh, Instagram at uh, sun 4 and um, shortly there will be a YouTube channel that's going to be linked to this podcast as well, and um, let's go ahead and get the ball rolling. So um, today I wanted to talk about uh, the false realities that we as African-Americans um typically find ourselves in um you know a couple of episodes previously you know the ones i've been posting recently there's been this uh you know i've been going back and forth with a lot of people when it comes to uh the ineffectiveness of boycotting the ineffectiveness of uh, protesting certain uh, in certain methods in certain ways certain means and i I really just want to double down on some of that not in a negative way but just to kind of uh justify or i guess uh explain you know where i'm coming from uh, I think I think it, it gets mi- I'm missed in a message sometimes when you know I guess I know sometimes I go on these rants and stuff like that. So I just really really want to let everybody know where I really stand. Um, so the question for the day is, what's Black Lives Matter? What is a Black Lives Matter to the human to the human rights of the world? And I say that only because I, I believe that we as African Americans have our own individual issues that uh, we as a collective have, you know, as a group of people uh, that have been displaced from our homelands. And that's something that resonates with, uh, you know, not too many, you know, we are we are one of the few that lost our cultures and our sense of self when we were, uh, you know, enslaved and uh, cargoed off. So uh, I really want to just talk about that because I think I think when we have the, when, we, when African-Americans typically talk about uh, racism, discrimination, they're not always looking at it from a international world lens. And whenever I talk about us as African-Americans, I try to situate us within this understanding of being black, but we're also in the diaspora. And I think that that's something that really has to be uh, explored and contextualized because if you look at the systemic issues that we have as people, I, I think I think one of the segues is, you know, we 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 have this um, distorted history that is being taught, um, you know, where the van, the old vanguard has manipulated the narrative to fit what they thought was best, and so you know, it's one of, when I say it's a false reality, it's because you know there's always been these moments of protest where people have protested continuously. And I think what we fail to realize is because there's been this continuation of protesting that uh, it's become the norm to see certain things happening among us. And uh, to the point where we forget that it's never not happened. So when I say that, what's a Black Lives, what is the Black Lives Matter to the human rights of the world, the human rights violations of the world, is because, you know, the Black Lives Matter movements uh, uh, standing points or foundations speaks for a global uh, audience, but it's because it's been localized, you know, with grassroots efforts here in America that they're not looking at 
how it could be a bridge abroad with uh, international movements and efforts as well. Um, I'm not saying that the members themselves are like this, it's just I'm saying people who are sympathizers, um, who support and advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement and, and objectives, I believe that they have to start looking at the international um, community as well and how the same things that are plaguing us here in America are also plaguing the people elsewhere. And so again, the distorted history, I think, is, is, what's, it's, is what's causing this false reality that a lot of black Americans are dealing with uh, to the point where, you know, even when we're taught in school, you know, we're, we're taught that about Rosa Parks and, and Rosa Parks, you know, not giving up her seat on the bus, you know, which of course they say started the Montgomery Boys boycotts and, and, and it segued into, uh, you know, uh, into other uh, endeavors. But, you know, what people fail to realize is in 1944, which was uh, roughly about 10 years, 11 years prior, um, there was a, a, a woman named Irene Morgan who, uh, who was uh, arrested in Virginia for refusing to give up her seat to a white passenger on an interstate Greyhound bus. And what was crazy about that is she actually, um, <laughs> that there was actually pickets and marches and protesting involved with that. Her case actually went to the Supreme Court which a lot of people don't realize. It's, it's, it's one of those things, but it's because it was not aligned with uh, the timing of certain organized organizations, such as the NAACP. It wasn't like a sanctioned full protest, you know, and they, they, were, they were practicing. There was, a, there was other women, uh, there was a, another young lady that, that happened um, right before, uh, right after Irene Morgan, and shortly before uh, Rosa Parks, but it, because she was she was a teenager and she was pregnant, and so of course that wouldn't have looked aesthetically appealing to you know certain people who were trying to promote social justice and, uh, and equality among African Americans, you know. So uh, and of course I'm I'm going to give you that name to the lady, um, you know, who the other the other uh, woman who was uh, protesting and. It's just like I said. It's just fascinating that these there's there's more than one narrative that that goes beyond the fact that you know it was just her you know Rosa Parks you know but why is it that we only talk about Rosa Parks you know why why isn't it that our community takes it upon themselves to talk about these other women you know to enlighten and elevate them you know it's just one of those things where it's like we're so short sighted and you know they they fail to ever mention these women. Um, the, the other lady was uh, Col Mrs. Colvin, uh, you know, and uh, and the thing about here with her, it was because of her age, you know, and it, it's just really fascinating that, you know, our history classes do not teach us this type of stuff, you know, it's, they'll give us cookie crumbs. Now, to speak on that, I do believe that critical race theory is needed. It's just where I say that it's a mute point, it's only because it's designed to talk about it from legal studies, critical legal studies. And it's, it's actually looking at the legal system, the legal codes, and how they are systemically creating racist, uh, you know, a, 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 a toxic environment that breeds racist uh, rhetoric and, and it uh, systematically and over, uh, overwhelmingly oppresses the people which they're supposed to be protecting. Um, 
you know, and like I said, it's just one of those things where, you know, we have to really understand that, you know, it, it really just speaks beyond this, this notion that what's happening here in America among black people is only isolated with us. Um, going abroad, I've never been abroad, but, you know, there are, there are, you know, people who do say that going abroad is an eye-opening experience because they realize that, you know, America is not what it appears to be. It's this, you know, this is veil that is lifted, you know, once you're able to go abroad and see from the outside looking in how we're being uh, portrayed or how we're being viewed as. Um, so uh, again, you know, you can go back further when you, when you talk about this, this, this continuation of racial and overt oppression among, uh, against African-American or black and brown bodies. Um, you know, for example, on the 13th of July in 1929, uh, white mobs threatened black residents of, uh, of in Nebraska, causing 200 people to flee their homes after a black man is accused of killing a white police officer. You know, and it's in the papers, you know, flee north of Plate Mob, you know, scene of a double killing, you know, where they're literally running the black residents out. And, and again, we don't talk about what happened here. We talk about Rosewood, you know, and, I, and I'm not taking anything away from Rosewood. It's just if, if, if everybody was really aware that all of these events occurred, and I don't necessarily believe that it's the public school's responsibility to teach us our history because, again, they're not they're not creating a curriculum that is going to be conducive to the minority. What they're trying to do is cater to the majority, which is, of course, in their likeness. So it's it's one of those things where I don't expect somebody to teach my child my our culture and our history because. They're not a part of that. They don't see that as a vital source of, of enlightenment to better, you know, the people. They do look at it as being a threat because in their eyes, it goes against what they're trying to promote in their in their beingness, you know. So, you know, again, and just Pat, like yesterday, um, which brings the context to Black Lives Matter. And, and in 2014, on July 17th, you noticed that it was... Uh, the uh, Staten, New York, you know, Staten Island, where uh, Eric Garner was, you know, put in the chokehold and he ultimately dies, you know, and the killing, of course, is filmed by bystanders and leads to nationwide protests. And a lot of people were up in arms. But it's, it's, it's like I said, it's one of those things where if you bring it into context now and you notice that, in, 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 and this is in July 12th. Um, it says a, a mob of at least 150 unmasked white men lynch a black man named John Henry James in Al Albernell County, Virginia, near Charlottesville. It's interesting because what happened in recent history in Charlottesville. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, again, this false reality of telling people that what's going on right now is something that just has never happened to black people. We've always been in a constant state of flight in fear of our death that the fact that we've never known whether or not we were going to wake up that next morning and be gunned down by a police officer or be gunned down just by our fellow black and brown brother only because I had on some shoes they knew or I had a fancy car that they felt as if they wanted to ride in for the day um, just recently there was a lady who a video just went viral online where a, a, a guy carjacked her car and she ends up 
tracking Kim down at a barbershop getting a haircut to the point where she drags him out by his hair. And, and in a fit of rage, she says she didn't know whether or not he was going to take her car again. She slashes her own tires. I mean, and, and, and then like in my head, you know, somebody who's non-materialistic, the first thing that really came on my head was, man, how much are those tires? I mean, this is a this is like a BMW, like a Mercedes type. So I know those tires are not cheap. And it's just like you slash those tires and then you proceed to drag him out by his hair. I don't know which one came first. And that's the thing that I think is really crazy. I think she said that it came after because she thought he was going to take her car after the fact because the police haven't arrived. Which, I mean, that's, again, one of those th- things that we have to worry about in the black community. You know, the, the fact that the police have a slower response time or EMS has a slow response time getting to uh, minority neighborhoods. You know, again, this is things that it speaks beyond the fact that people realize that it's like it's always been happening. I don't understand why every time the conversation comes up in the media, everybody feels as if this is something new, that it's something that has never occurred. You know, but going back to John Henry, uh, you know, John Henry James, you know, they lynched him, and in the headlines say they lynched him. A colored man dealt with, dealt with, taken from the train, died protesting innocence. A brutal, a brutal murder mob makes no efforts at disguise. It, it goes on. They say that the lady on a public road near her home on a Monday was lynched. He, they said he was lynched two miles west by two interposing men. They say that the courts were too slow to convict. They said days after, and they say that the court was too slow to act. And they say Negro friend taken from train and lynched. And this is in Charlottesville, Virginia. Again. It's one of those things where I feel like we don't have to keep going back and forth to, 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 to talk about these things because there's plenty of evidence to prove that all of this is occurring. I don't feel as if it has to be implemented in a curriculum because, again, it's already out there. The information is already out there. It's whether you're willing to put up forth the effort to educate your fellow people in your community and your family about these events and these occurrences, you know, Instead, we would want to complain and, and use our energies to promote or, or to argue about boycotting the Olympics when you you don't even realize all of this stuff has already occurred. That that it, it's, it's, it's bigger than just telling somebody, oh, they can't run because they smoke weed. You know, it's way bigger than that because living in this false reality, you've already tacitly consented to a veil being covered or placed over your eyes to the real truth because that's what America wants it's this it's the American dream they want you to keep dreaming and not facing the reality of what's really happening the fact is the bulk of us are not going to be million billionaires you know we're not going to have that that opportunity to become the Oprah Winfrey's of our of our day a lot of us are only going to be the assistant manager or the manager of some company. I mean, but again, that's what America, you know, that's what America is. You know, it's, it's telling you that you could be something else, but in reality, it sets limitations and parameters of how far you can actually move up the ladder. You know, especially the social ladder. 
because you can be economically invited to say a cookout <laughs> or or something like a, a formal dinner but are you really belonging do they really put you in the same category as them no you're being utilized just like everybody else you know as a as a, as a game or it's just a chess move you know but again you're playing their game of chess i mean it's People say it's chestnut checkers, yada. My whole thing is, why are we even playing games? But again, you know, that's again this false reality. They think you're gonna win, but it's a game. You know, it's not real life. You know, but again, I just think you know when we think about these, you know, this 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 dysfunction of truly understanding what what our real history is. You know, I think we have to just really hone in on the fact that we have not learned enough about who we were and where we're going. And without knowing where we're going, you know, what else is there? You know, we'll just be aimlessly walking in the abyss, technically, I guess you could say. But on another note, I can say that uh, this this year is definitely going to be uh, quite eventful. Um, the city of Atlanta, of course, you know, the mayoral campaigns are coming up. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, council seats that are open. And I definitely think coming out of the pandemic, there's going to be a lot more uh, legwork that has to be done in order to get Atlanta back to what everybody was trying to say is uh, being the new black mecca. Uh, trying to change that narrative. And of course, I'm, I'm, take, I'm utilizing the term that uh, Dr. Maurice Hobson uh, from utilizes, which I really think is uh, very critical, um, you know, understanding that, you know, the Olympification of Atlanta is, it has pretty much, you know, created what we see now in, here in the local level, um, you know, the, the bustling commerce, um, you know, that Atlanta is bringing to the South, um, it, it does, it definitely speaks to um, a melting pot situation. You know, and I really just like I said, with the with, even with the protests that were going on here in Atlanta, I do believe that the leaders um, had a great response to, and they heard the concerns of the youth and the masses of what they were frustrated with and about, and they heard their concerns. Um, part of me just believes that there was a uh, there's this conflict between. Um, ways of which protesting and activism should be uh, administered or uh, I guess you could say uh, practice and uh, again I think that that's and I'm too guilty of that because uh, I, I do believe that there is a, a change in the vanguard of individuals where there needs to be a change in the leaderships and the vanguards of these organizations that are, are in existence you know, because they're, because there's no, the youth are the future, and without their input in how things should go, I believe that, you know, we're, we're not, we're not going anywhere, you know, I believe that, you know, it's going to pretty much just be null and void at this point, um, and I, I just really just honestly have a, have a firm belief that, you know, if we can get past this, this notion that, what, what African Americans are dealing with here is is just that's it. You know, I, I believe if we were able to truly understand what some of the African 
leaders were doing, what Castro, uh, Fidel Castro, and other uh, South American leaders were doing, uh, Chavez and others. I, I really believe that, you know, what they were trying to get people to understand was it wasn't just a racial issue, it was human rights. And the fact that somebody's human rights are being violated across the board, I think that's where people, I think that's where it's like people take that seriously. It's, it's, it goes beyond race at that point. Because if, if somebody doesn't look at you as being human, and I and it's every time there's a police shooting, there's, there's something going on with violence, black on black crime, anything in this type of nature, it's it boils down to valuing one's life and valuing another person's life and understanding that the take of life means something. You can't get that back. And I, I believe that because they, the bulk of the individuals who we talk about who are oppressing people, they don't look at people as being human. They look at you as being numbers. You know, your stats on a piece of paper, your 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 zoning, your your whatever. You know, in that type of in that type of wheelhouse. You know, and, and I think once we really realize that we're not being seen as being human and and it's not just here in America, it's not isolated. I think once we realize that, I think we can grow as people and start to be more human. You know, we'll we'll be able to um, you know do these uh, cross pollinated situations. Um, you know, I guess an example could be could be the uh, Hall of Renaissance and negritude or uh, you know, the Pan-African Congresses and, you know, all of these type of situations, you know, where they were trying to be, it was an international effort. The Black Panther Party at one point with Eldridge Cleaver, you know, what they were trying to do is tell people, like, listen, if we unify internationally against our, against people who are oppressing people, that that would evoke change, you know, but it's, it's one of those things you know, if you can't realize that we're living in a false reality and that the the current government structure that we have here in America is flawed and tainted and it has to be changed, you know, there's no way you can, you can't utilize a system that was designed to exploit you, to benefit you and elevate you. It was designed to keep you under. Not saying that everybody's not, not saying everybody's going to stay under. But the bulk of everybody is going to be under the heel of capitalism. And, and that's one of the things when you hear when they talk about the media, when they talk about politicians. The first thing they say about critical race theory and all is going to under, undermine um, the American, American patriotism and capitalism. You know, the, the, the economy. You know, but it's it's crazy because I'm just like, why? Like, why? Why are you so? Why are you so threatened? You know, and again, I just feel like, yeah, I'm going back and forth. But again, I just feel like it's it's one of those things where it's like, why are you trying to tell? And I'm speaking to people of color at this point anyway. But I'm just saying, why is it that you feel feel the need to tell your enemy or your competition your next move? To get their validation and their approval, as if, hey, is that, am I doing it right? Am I, am I exploiting? You know, am I am I manipulating the system the way y'all do so I can get to the same level as you? I just need to know that because I need your validation. I need, I crave, I crave that. You know, and I feel like that's what some people 
really think that they that they have to get the validation of their of their oppressors in order to realize, okay, yeah, now I'm liberated. But you're not. <laughs> you're not liberated if you give them that. Because what they're going to do is they're going to steer you in a direction in which they want you to go. You know, if people talk about neocolonialism, post-colonialism, and, and it's the same thing. It's, yeah, of course, yeah, I mean, if you didn't, what is it, uh, Milk Arca Brawl and, and Fidel Castro and all, you know, but you, they say we liberated ourselves. You know, Haiti, they liberated themselves. It wasn't a, oh, we need somebody's help. It's, no, we're going to take it matters in our own hands and liberate ourselves. And you see what happens to nations like that. Individuals who take matters into their own hands and do not seek the, the, the help or the assistance of their former oppressors to liberate themselves, they're, they're, they're castrated, literally, cut off financially, you know, to the point where, um, but people don't understand what happened in Algiers, you know, where they said that the French literally ripped the, the, the phone cords and stuff like that out of the buildings and literally ripping the infrastructure out of these places to the point where they could not come back, you know, or it, it speaks, you know, again, this whole situation with the uh, central banking systems, the World Bank, IMF, same thing, you know, what happened with Argentina and, and Tanzania, same situations, you know, it's, you look for outside help to help you raise your uh, gross domestic product or something like that, and then they say, hey, you should match your dollar with the U.S. dollar, that'd be a great idea for your economy. Then what happens is when the U.S. dollar collapses, these other infrastructures that are not supposed, that are not even on that level, end up crashing because they're competing with a fictitious money, our U.S. dollar that is backed by nothing really. We're literally on credit. It's a credit system, but it's like because everybody's so much in debt to us, it's like we can keep doing what we want. I mean, I feel like that's again a false reality. And then we as black people help perpetuate it, investing in the stock markets, buying gasoline. I'm guilty of that too. You know, I buy technology all day knowing that it could potentially be, you know, created and, you know, shipped by child labor. You know, I have a new smartphone. I understand, you know, the consequences of that. You know, and it's just, it's, it's hard to even break the modes of this false reality because then we're so ingrained in it in our very existence, even if we wanted to. You know, the first questions everybody asks is, well, if we do do away with it, now what? I don't have an answer for that. You know, I really don't. But I also feel like, why is nobody else asking that question of, why can't we get rid of it? You know, I understand we don't have an answer for it yet, but if if we had enough people on board that said, we need to dispel this, 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 this double consciousness that we're dealing with, you know, reference to what the the voice was talking about you know if we're trying to rid ourselves from that from this veil you know we at least have to acknowledge that there is one you know that we are not living the life that we're supposed to live that we are living in the age of the roman the greco-roman you know system you know the fact that we even speak english Things, you know, and it's even even to the point where you know, I and, and it's not just white people. Either. It's not just everybody. It's, it's Americans. Um, you know, we we might go into a grocery store, and there might be a cashier who who might speak, uh, who might be Arabic, or you know, might be Asian or 
Hispanic and their accents might be a little heavy. We're just as critical of, of them as, as anybody else, as anybody other other American. I don't understand why it's like we make it seem like we're we're pro everybody of color, we're pro all minorities, where we're really not. You know, even with the situation with Asian Americans, you know, that that I mean it's you know, it's sad that that's happened. But a lot of African Americans, the first thing that came out their mouth was, well, where's our legislation? How come we haven't had anything passed? The civil rights was not just for us, which it really wasn't. But again, what what were we asking? We didn't ask, we did not, when we had leaders who were talking about it being human rights violations, we, we, we painted them as being too militant. I mean, if you think about it, when, when you had people who were looking at it from that pan-Africanist, um, black nationalist understanding of things, where we needed to develop our own nation state or our sense of uh, nationhood, a separate, separated from, they were looked at as being extremists. So it's like, of course, if you're if you're gonna choose the nonviolent NAACP approach, you know, of course you're going to get said response. You're gonna get said actions done. But say if the masses would have took a different approach and decided to align themselves with, say, uh, the fruit of Islam or the Black Panther Party and actually legitimize the Black Panther Party as a legitimate party. You know, to the point where they actually were holding more than just one or two offices. They were actually, you know, they had their own caucus. You know, we have the Black National Caucus right now. Would we have the Black Caucus right now? If the Black Panther Party would have been to that point, who knows? You know, again, the false realities of thinking that we've made strides and in gains where, again, you know, in the media, there's constant, there's constant representations or showing that there is a lack of respect for our sense of humanity and our sense of agency. So, I mean, I just, it's just one of those things that I really believe that if we really are going to have a honest conversation about Black Lives, Black Lives Matter. I do believe that we have to have this conversation of where does where does it mean to be black and human? And what does it mean to be black and human? And what does it mean to have uh, agency? You know, that, that might not necessarily align with what the masses feel as if is, is what is the best course of action. Um, you know, nations were not built off of peace. You know, and I know this is very, you know, aggressive in, in that approach, but the facts are the facts. If you look at most nations or any nation that has been developed, it was created through um, violence, acts of violence, targeted acts of violence, if you want to call it. Some were not targeted. You know, um, economics, you know, boycotting naturally, but destruction and rebuilding and repairing you know no no nation comes out of a civil should come out of a civil war or a revolutionary war to establish a new nation and still have the same values intact you know if it's a new nation there has to be some things that are restructured and you know 
you know, on a final note with this false reality, um, it speaks to, you know, where people were saying about being a Democrat or a Republican or anything like that, you know, the false reality is just there in the pudding is there's only bipartisanship. Bipartisanship does not offer as many checks and balances if there was a viable third party that was legitimized to the point where they too had electoral college votes to the magnitude of the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's like people villa, people say, well, why did Bernie Sanders decide to run as a, as a Democrat? He would have never been on the ballot officially. You know, the only way you can get on the ballot in some places is if you're validated by the Democrats or the Republicans. If you're an independent, an independent candidate, there's certain paperwork you have to submit and file by certain deadlines. And you know they're going to give you hoops and hurdles when you're trying to submit some of these things at these courthouses, downtown and stuff like that. They're going to give you the, they're going to give you the runaround. You know, it's designed that way. It's, the, it's designed to make you feel so depleted to the point where you will give up. You know, um, I have a previous uh, podcast episode, actually, by the way, about um, former president candidate of 2020, Jade Simmons. Um, definitely go, you know, go back and look at, listen to that. Um, her, 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 her platform is identical to what you hear in the Democrats and the Republicans, but it goes further. And, and that's that, and, and it's, it's one of those things where you know people were promoting Joe, President Biden, which I have nothing against President Biden, but it's you had a black candidate, a black woman as a candidate, and her running mate was a woman, a black woman as well, and nobody really was talking about her. You know, you had people on the Breakfast Club talking about her, um, Charlemagne the God and others, but of course I understood why he would because they're from Charleston, both of them are from Charleston, so. I respected the fact that he gave her that he gave her that platform, but it, it should have been more. Why wouldn't we've backed her? You know, the reason why we didn't back her is because of that false reality that we have that we feel as if that what we have right now is going to work for us, regardless of all the history, regardless of all the all the all the history that literally teaches and tells us that none of the none of this is going to work. That the current infrastructure that we already have is faulty. It's not going to work and it's not going to benefit us as, as people of color or minorities in general. There has to be a revitalization. People say, oh, change takes time. My opinion is change is immediate. I changed my mind. I changed my mind on what I wanted to eat today. I changed whether or not I wanted to go to work tomorrow. I wanted to call out. I changed my mind, right? That's something I can immediately do. I can also unchange my mind and go back and say, I, I guess I do want to do the opposite. But I feel like if you want to a revolution, something that is evolving, that takes over time. That's something that is something that it, 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 take, it can take a lifetime to build. But it's worth it because it's more meaningful. People will see that. It forces people to have to realign themselves and their realities on how they are as people and what they want in the world. That's what we have to focus on and that's where we have to be at is understanding this human rights violation that we're dealing with. This is not just civil. This is not just racial. They don't look at us as being human beings. They look at us as being others. Beasts. Others. 
monkeys. It's all in it's all in the art. It's all in it. To the point where when you see football, basketball athletes, the commentators, what are they saying? Oh, he's so exotic the way he exotic. Wow, you want to use those words? Or just listen to how they describe LeBron James when he slams dunk. Or when his like, you know, they, they say his prowess, his 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 tenacity, his his uh, aggressiveness, his uh, ferociousness. But you hear they say they say those same things when they talk about the, like the, t- the lion or the tiger or the cheetah on National Geographic and how they're tracking down their prey. It's like they're looking at at something that it's like it's it's a, it's something that's like in awe. They're like, oh my god, this 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 godlike creature that we can't tame, but somehow we're so intrigued that. How can they do what they do? We give them something, they change it. But yet they don't want to do away with our laws and policies. So clearly we have some type of hold on them. So what we do is, what they'll do is, and I'm speaking theoretically, what they think is they'll say, oh, you know, we can we can find a way to harness what their, their energy, what they're doing, what they, what they do. So we understand that they can jump real hard. Okay, cool. So we'll pay you to do this, you know, for our own entertainment. Not for your spiritual reasons or anything like that. No, but it's, we're going to do it so we can be entertained. You know. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we have to really think about what are we doing? You know, why are we protesting? You know, are you protesting because you want to be in the same exploitative way as them? Or are you protesting because it's like you really want something different? You know, because it's like, if you were able to, and I'm not, of course, I can't say y'all or everybody, but, you know, there is a running narrative on that. You know, it's like one person makes it out the hood and we congratulate them, but they don't reach back. But then we're like, we still congratulate them because we're like, well, at least they made it, which is good. It's all, it's all fine. You know, but it's like, again, and, and, and I'm not a devout Christian, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's just one of those things. If you look at any religious or spiritual text it always harks back on charity it always reaches back on helping the poor alms providing a service to the to the needy the ones who lack if you have more you should give you know that way it's it's one of those things where it's like you never have a surplus you know you can't take it with you type deal but yet we hoard we hoard resources we hoard time you know, we hoard all of that. And, and it's one of those things where, again, we're helping perpetuate this false reality that is ultimately plaguing us. You know, so, you know, again, in short, you know, like I said, there's, there's just plenty of plenty of different situations and calendars and everything like that that I feel as if that people really just do not sit there and just focus on, you know, there's just so many things out there, so many different occurrences and events you just focus on it and you'll realize that it's like to say critical race theory needs to be taught in schools you know it's like there's plenty of evidence that that proves that you don't really have to teach it it's there the information is out there I I don't expect somebody outside of me or outside of my family to educate my seeds or my legacies or my nieces and nephews I don't I don't expect them to teach them that that's our responsibility. If we're saying that this is our culture, our, our history, you need to own it. You really need to own that. Because you can't expect somebody who doesn't look at you as being human. 
to teach your children that humility or that human side of your history or your culture or your people who have been martyrs, who sacrificed their lives, who, who did this for you, who died for you to vote. You know, and it's crazy. Like today, I don't even know if I even mentioned that one because you know I'm you know I'm just kind of all over it. But you know, like you know, like okay. So for example, today in 1946, World War II veteran Maceo Snipes is shot in the back at his home by crew by KKK members. The day after he became the first black person to cast a vote in Taylor County, Georgia. This is 1946. I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond me that people, again, you're, you're telling me that Black Lives Matter now, but it's like, man, it, we know they matter. Who are you trying to tell that to? Who are you trying to, who are you trying to convince that Black Lives Matter? You tell me who you're trying to convince. Because I know that Black Lives Matter is being a black man. I know we all know, but they don't look at you as being you. I mean, you can even read. This is how they read. This is how the the, the, the newspaper reads. This. this this is what the newspaper heading says. Headline: Veteran County's lone voter assassinated by four white men. Butler, Georgia, apparently because he boldly exercised his constitutional right to vote in the Georgia Democratic primary. Maceo Snipes, World War II veteran, was coldly, cold-bloodedly shot down here last week by four white men who were acquitted later by a coroner's jury on the plea of self-defense. Snice was the only colored voter in Taylor County to insist on his right to cast a ballot in the election. Local observers were on was of the behalf were of the behalf that this single act signed his death warrant. He was seated at his dinner table, according to his mother, when the four white men drove up and called her son by name. When he got up to answer, four shots rang out, three of the slugs piercing Snipes' abdomen, wounding him fatally. Wow. There's also tellings that at the funeral, his funeral was held days after. In the midst of the funeral, they're saying that Maceo's mother rose and moved up through the crowd, up to his coffin, where they waited to lower it into the earth. And she asked her second son to come forth. He was 17 at the time. And she said to him, put your hand on his coffin and swear on the body of your brother. Then when you get to be 21, you're going down to the courthouse to do what he did. Vote. Just think about that. There wasn't, there wasn't any fear in her heart. What she saw was there was an opportunity to prove something, that they would not be moved, that they would not be dissuaded to claim their agency and be who they were, human, to exercise their rights. But we want to talk about that now. And people were talking about boycotting elections and all this other kind of stuff. I vote. Do not get me wrong. But I'm a firm believer that you have to vote locally first so that stuff like that doesn't happen. Who's your sheriff? Who's your county representative? Who's your state legislators? Who's your aldermans, you know, if you have aldermans in your communities? 
you know, who, I mean, who's on your school board? Who's the superintendent of the school board? Of, 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 of all of that, you know, it's, that's the kind of stuff that I just don't understand. It's like, well, I mean, why? Like, it's like, why are we not asking those type of questions? It's like, why? You know, and, and that's, and it's, it's just one of those things, again, you know, until we realize that us living in this false reality, until we realize that we live in a false reality, that we have to wake up from, we're, we're always going to have to deal with this. You know, again, Emil Carcabral, others talk about that. Um, and Gugi Watiago, all of these African scholars, are talk, they talked about how psychologically we've been crippled. We have to break down those psychological barriers in order to move forward and prosper. If not, we're going to keep perpetuating the cycle of what is. Why is it happening to us? You know why it's happening to you. They don't want you here. They feel as if they're better than you. I mean, it's it's even to the point where they had that study with football players saying that, you know, with the, with the CT head scans and stuff, you know, it's all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's all designed to make you feel as if that you're inferior or you have some superhuman strength. That's why they don't believe that you can get hurt or you have super tough skin like an ox. You know, so it's like, you know, as a black person, you can withdraw more pain. That's why they have no issues with not giving us epidurals or why black women die at higher rates on operating tables or when they're having C-sections or giving children in hospitals. But there's a reason why we're now going to doulas and others, you know, to do these things. Um, you know, why, why, why even risk it now? You know, it, it's, it's just crazy that we're still having these conversations. You know, it's just really, it's just really crazy. You know, w- once you start really paying attention to people like Ngugi Watiago, who talks about decolonizing the mind. He's talking about the politics of language. You know, why isn't it that we why isn't it that we don't write more like Paul Lawrence Dunbar? You know, oh, it's too hard to read. You know, it's difficult. When most of our family members already speak the language as well. We speak the language, we just haven't seen it in written form. Because we were taught that it's not something that should be spoken or written. It's taught that it's ghetto, it's hood. But why is it that all of us can understand it? I can use one word four different times and you'll know exactly what I mean for four different ways based off the tone. That's something that is just naturally there. But that, that's something that we know that can break these false realities. You know, decolonizing the mind. You know, it, it speaks volumes. You know, I, I, I really can't, you know, it's just one of those things where if, if, if you're not willing to understand that, you know, we've been given this, this pedagogical disposition that is slowly seeping our sense of self away from us, our cultures, you know, as if it doesn't matter, you know, that's, that's where it's at, you know, that's where it's like critical race theory being taught in public schools, that's what's going to happen because it has to be more palatable for the masses. It's not like you're going to get it in raw form of what you want. They're not going to tell you what happened to, um, uh, people like, um, I, I, I mean, I guess you could say people, you know, like Fred Hampton, 
Well, they'll tell you a little bit about Fred Hampton, but you know, they're not going to tell you about Mega Evans, you know, or uh, Stephen Biko, you know. People, you know, it's like when you start naming these people, you're like, well, who is that? What's that? You know, Walter Rodney. You know, it's like there's names in which people don't know that these people actually sacrificed their lives because they were understanding, they understood that we had to decolonize ourselves. And the only way you can do that is restructuring your sense of beingness that is not given to you by somebody who has been trying to control your sense of labor and your economic production, your sense of expression. It's very militant, yes, to tell somebody who you say is your neighbor and your friend, we can make it, we can, we can do this, we don't need your assistance. You know, even to the point where, you know, I talked about Emil Cabral and, and Castro to the point where Emil Cabral told Castro and his troops, we don't need your help right now because our people are our mountains. We will move this, we will move this liberation together because it will be more valuable if we do it ourselves without the outside help of somebody else. Independence. Truly being independent. Without having to pay somebody back for helping you. You did it on your own yourself. Gives you more validation. But at what cost? Again, this is um, the Black Sun Podcast. Um, if you have any questions, like I said, feel free to email me. Um, the, you know, like I said, message me on Instagram. I'm gonna, like, so I'm gonna get a Gmail account lined up for the um, podcast. Excuse me. And I'm also going to go ahead and um, develop develop. Uh, um, you know, another way that y'all can give me feedback and things like that. Again, you can always hit me up on Instagram at the Black Sun 4 And in my DMs, I'm gonna post some, you know, audio for this later on. And um, and like I said, we can touch back later on. Again, this title was on, you know, dealing with the false realities and what's what's a Black Lives Matter to the human rights of the world. Um, again, you have to think globally at some point when we're trying to liberate the masses. And it's not just localized. It's not just here in America. We have to understand that there are people in the diaspora that do need our help. And if we can unify these grassroots efforts on a global scale, I definitely think that there are some things that can change. Uh, Again, um, the Black Sun. Peace.